1: Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Hope everyone out there had a very happy 4th of July vacation week for a lot of you. And uh, we're going to do something a little different since it is a holiday week. You have an interview with a wrestling legend, Jim Cornette, who spent a lot of time in WWF, WWE, WCW, and is probably the greatest talker in the history of the world, let alone wrestling. And we spoke to Jim about a million topics, the current state of wrestling, Roman Reigns, podcasting, Vince McMahon, the Montreal Screwjob at Length. He teases something in there. So if you're a wrestling fan, I I implore you to listen to Jim Cornette riff. It will go by quickly. And uh, he is the guest on this week's SI Media Podcast. Let's go right now to Jim Cornette. All right, joining me now... One of my all-time favorites in the wrestling business, and uh, this is the definition of a character, except it's it's real life. And he is a longtime former manager, Booker TV commentator. Now he hosts multiple podcasts, and like I said, just when he talks, you listen. Jim Cornette. Jim, how are you?
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. You said it just the way I wrote it. I want to thank you for that, Jim. <laughs> My pleasure,
1: and, and I'm glad Jim can make it. He He's dealing with tornado. Where are you right now where the tornadoes uh, just gave you a hard time?
0: I'm I'm in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky um, at Castle Cornette, and they had the tornado sirens going. It was a severe thunderstorm that had de- uh, descended on the Louisville area, and the sirens were going, and the water was coming down sideways, and I thought we were going to have to get a boat, but Fortunately, uh, everything has uh, has uh, passed over now. I think for the time being. All
1: right, and you were just taping your podcast.
0: Yeah, that's uh, practically all I do anymore. You know, we've gotten so popular. What can I say? People just love to hear from me.
1: <laughs> the
0: Jim Cornette Experience comes out every Thursday wherever you steal your finer podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, all that stuff, and then the special Cornies Drive Through uh, comes out every Monday where I answer uh listener questions about uh wrestling history past and present
1: I, I i say this all the time to my producer lou pellegrino who's here i think thursdays are the busiest day for podcasts but mine comes out on thursday as well it seems all the good ones come out on thursday so it,
0: it, i guess it, it it must great minds think alike because yeah. i don't even know how we picked thursday it just started out that mm-hmm. way and it's been that way ever since but uh we appreciate every we we've uh, we've grown exponentially over the past year or two, and now the uh, between the drive-through and the experience together, we're looking at about three quarters of a million downloads a month for the Cult of Cornet members to. To get the knowledge that I'm dropping on them, and I appreciate all of that. I won't even go into YouTube. I'm just—I'm a statistic freak. I'm, I'm all over the place. You can pick me up on the fillings in people's teeth.
1: <laughs> now, are you ever? Do you ever think about? Because I've had conversations with some people about this. Um, one of my good buddies who was in the office, who's a wrestling fan, the amount of wrestling podcasts or podcasts hosted by wrestling people. Jim Ross has a very successful one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chris Jericho, one of the first ones out of the gate with one. Um, obviously, Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson. I, I, it's going to be hard for me to do this interview without hearing Bruce Pritchard's Jim Cornette in my head. What is it about but, the wrestling industry that makes for these phenomenal podcasts?
0: Well, I, I think part of it, and by the way, I, I'm, I've got to say this Bruce Pritchard doesn't imitate me. Bruce Pritchard imitates Jim Ross imitating me. Okay. Just so you know. Whatever whatever it it, is,
1: it's funny as hell.
0: It gets exponentially higher with... You know, it it gets way up there. Goddamn, pal! But but, uh, I think there's so many because the wrestling fans love to hear the inside perspective that they've never really gotten to hear. And and even more so than if you have a favorite actor uh, talking about the movie they made or maybe even a favorite football player talking about the big Super Bowl they won... That stuff has already really been reported. It's, it's reported in the news. It's reported in papers and magazines and things. But wrestling has been such a unique animal where some of it's real, some of it's not. You never know which, which, what parts, where one starts and the other ends, that they love to hear the behind-the-scenes stories from the wrestlers and the wrestling personalities. And also, it doesn't hurt that generally people in professional wrestling are the more interesting people that you'll meet in the course of your life. And there's always something wild and crazy going on, so it kind of makes for good stories. Yeah, I know one of your. You're sort of. If for example, on, on, on my show, on somebody else's show, you might hear about, for example, when they shot uh, this major motion picture you might have heard about, or when they played the Super Bowl game you might have heard about, or whatever, but I can tell you when Dr. Jerry Graham. Burst into the hospital and stole his mother's corpse and tried to make off with it and was only stopped by the police and taken to the Arizona state mental institution.
1: now why would why would he do such a thing?
0: He was upset at the doctor. He had called the doctor previously and said that if anything happened to his mother, there was going to be some hell to pay. Well, she died. Oh my God. And he showed up with a shotgun and a baseball bat and uh, all four hundred pounds of him, and burst into the room threw his her mother his mother's corpse over his shoulder. Dragging orderlies like rag dolls and knocking out security guards until finally they 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 took both him and the deceased lady's body down in the parking lot.
1: Professional wrestling for you right there. That's pretty much the stories never cease to amaze. And there then that's why people listen to these podcasts. Do you think <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I know I know you're you're not a fan of the current WWE product. Um that's a fair statement, correct? I don't want to put words in your mouth.
0: Well, it, I mean, I'm a fan of some of the current guys in the WWE, the, right. the talent, the wrestlers. I have Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, you know, the, the Revival is a tag team. I mean, I don't watch a lot of current wrestling, and I don't want to just pick out the WWE, but I don't watch a lot of current wrestling to begin with because a lot of it hurts my feelings. Right. But, well, um, but I'm, I'm a fan of, of certain of the talent involved there, just not necessarily the way that they're presented or the way the business is always presented. Because and it's, not, it's not just picking on the WWE. Pro wrestling has become pro entertainment. Right. There's no pretense that there's any reality. There's no passion and emotion that would make you think that anybody's really mad. I can't recall the last time anybody wanted to shoot or stab one of the heels and I don't know that the baby faces pictures go up like they used to in the old days on people's walls next to pictures of Jesus Christ. It's It's changed into something that that I'm just not really a fan of because even the guys, even the wrestlers, they admit that, that it's entertainment and that everything is is a work or manipulated or choreographed or however you want to describe it. And pretty much everybody else is in on that. So now I've just kind of come to the point where I'm, if, if we're not really trying to make people believe this is a fight, then why are we doing this? There's no reason to. Because then you're just out there pretending to beat people up. So it's like a movie fight scene just done in front of folks that pay.
1: Right. See, I, the reason I ask is it sort of ties in with the podcast thing is do you think podcasts have played a role? In maybe hurting wrestling. It, it, for, it seems that now it's not about what goes on in, in the ring or uh, on the show. For instance, it's not about what goes on. It's I think fans are more enamored with the behind the scenes stuff that they can know about. You know, it's not about. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's not about um, Roman Reigns on Monday Night Raw. It's how is the WWE going to get Roman Reigns over, which has nothing to do with what you see on Monday Night Raw.
0: Yeah, well, well you know why? Because they know that's real. <laughs> right. See. Here's the thing. Wrestling fans have have always belonged to one of a couple of categories. Either the people that legitimately believed that everything about professional wrestling was real all along, and there were some of those, or the people that knew something was going on, but they didn't know what, they didn't know to what extent, they didn't know who controlled what, and they didn't know how these things were done. Sort of like when you go to a magic show. That's the biggest amount of people. And then there's a few people always that Knew what was going on with wrestling, but, but liked it anyway. That's always been a small subculture. Well, what we've done now is we've kept the small subculture that do spend a lot of money per head and, and are really interested in the product because they appreciate it for what it is. But we've lost the vast numbers of people that as long as they didn't know it's just like a magic show. They would go back to see to see if they could figure it out. Or they'd go back to see what you want. Those guys are mad. You know, whatever. It as long as there was doubt, as long as there was some type of cloud over what was real, what was not, and where it met, then that's where you got a lot of mainstream numbers. Because, you know, unfortunately, pro wrestling, and I make this point on my podcast a lot, of all major sports, it's the only one where the salaries to the talent have gone down. Because in, in the early 1950s, when wrestling first hit network TV, the, the five highest-paid professional athletes in the United States were the world heavyweight boxing champion and four professional wrestlers. Now the promoter, the WWF, the WWE, they make, they've just made a $2 billion TV deal. Right. And the guys make a lot of money, but they don't make more money than the UFC play, fighters or the NFL players, the NBA players. And also, the numbers of people who watch wrestling on television or who go to see live wrestling has never really been lower than in the modern era, the last 10 years or so, because for one thing, there's very few promotions anymore because people don't buy tickets to see this stuff live because they don't believe it anymore. Mm. So they go see it like the Harlem Globetrotters once a year instead of the Boston Celtics every home game it's 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 been a bizarre thing where one company has emerged as what people think that pro wrestling is, and they're very successful. and we've lost all the millions of people who watched all the other types of wrestling because there really isn't any anymore on a mainstream level. And then you got the independents who, you know they they they're guys who laugh and joke about you know wrestling being silly and fun, and they have matches with the invisible Man or the blow up dolls or whatever. And it, it, you know, it's it's become a niche product instead of a mainstream. Uh, there, it, it's it's not a mainstream endeavor anymore, like it was in the '50s, '60s, '70s, and '80s, when every television station in every major market broadcast a highly rated wrestling show. There were two dozen promoters uh, with full crews of wrestlers running matches every night of the week. Uh, just here in Louisville, my hometown alone, there were 52 live professional wrestling events at the Louisville Gardens every year, every Tuesday night. And they'd draw about three or 4,000 people, because Louisville was a mid-sized town. Um, a city like Houston, Texas, would draw a quarter of a million people a year or more. Uh, to their events, uh, the Madison Square Garden would be run once a month and sell out. Every major market had live wrestling and, and TV wrestling programs, and uh, now it's constricted. So, but you it, know, I've, it's just uh, I think we've lost a lot of what made it interesting to people when they know how the they know where the shell is in the I, shell game. I they know they know how the card trick is done.
1: I agree with that hundred percent because I, I was wrestling fan when I was a kid, and I, like I said, I have a hard time getting into it now because I find the behind-the-scenes stuff more interesting, but if I was playing devil's advocate, the flip side of all that is the WWE is still printing money hand over fist, business is booming in terms of profits. Th- they would say to you, we have more views on our YouTube channel, we don't need the TV viewers because what we get on YouTube, our social media is through the roof. So it, they've adopted to it the new media, so they do deserve credit for that. Would you agree?
0: Oh yeah, and, and see, once again, it's not their business that I'm talking about. It's right. the wrestling business. The WWE business is better than ever. The wrestling business is not necessarily now. Ring of Honor is, has has done really well over the past couple of years. Yep. Of course, it's it's a new style of wrestling. It's not. I'd hoped for it when I helped engineer the sale to Sinclair Broadcasting. I'd hoped for it to be a hybrid of mixed martial arts and pro wrestling, because something that was taken seriously as a sport and would be believable, but on a, you know, a major television platform. It's too late for that. I finally figured that out. Uh, People know too much. They're not going to accept wrestling presented seriously. So therefore, you know, you have to do all the gaga, and there's an audience for that, but it's not ever going to be as big an audience as, as the one we had when people didn't just look at one brand as professional wrestling but instead they looked at the entire industry when there was multiple mm. promotions right. and you know much different talent and you know so WWF at WWE they're doing great but the entire business as a whole is, is not as healthy as it once was because there's not as many options for the guys not as many different promotions and also you know once again it's almost impossible to get people to treat this stuff seriously mm. anymore and that's the only way that you sell tickets and and pay-per-views and or television ratings in, in big numbers.
1: So uh, this is going to be a very, very stupid question, so if you want to tear me up on it, feel free. But is it really just as simple as the reason why another company can't come in and legitimately, I'm not talking the TNA, I'm talking about a, a company coming in and legitimately competing with the WWE, is it simply just because of money and that's it and nothing else?
0: Uh, well, at this point, it... it It's because of the the tremendous disparity in the budget that the WWE can spend to do anything and and what anybody else can afford. So part of it is money, but also it's just at this point, they have convinced everyone that WWE is pro wrestling. And to a lot of people, there's no other wrestling out there. And so that style or whatever, so in a lot of respect, it is money because they've gotten so far ahead they can make the big network deals. Their production can blow anybody else's away. They can afford to hire any wrestler that does work for anybody else that gets hot, unless he's just one of those people that wants to do his own thing. Um, so there's money is at, at the root of a lot of it, but also, and Vince should know this better than anybody because I spent a lot of time with him, complacency and indifference are the worst thing for a company to grow. You do your best work. And w- when Vince had that for that period where he actually had WCW chasing him for about two years,
1: right?
0: he made a lot of, of changes and he and he grew a lot because he had to.
1: Right.
0: He's not used to being, he's like the, the biggest kid in the schoolyard. He's not used to being picked on. But when there's no competition at all, nobody on the horizon you don't have to change anything, you don't have to do anything differently, and then it just becomes the same old thing.
1: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that time period, you were with the WWE 1993 to 2005, I want to I get into some things from, from that whole era, it, it's funny that you say uh, what we said a few minutes ago about um, the wrestling fan now, they want the stuff that's real, they know the stuff they're seeing on TV is all scripted, and they, they latch onto what's real, and I think that's the reason why, even today, all these years later, 15, 16, 17 years, whatever it is, people still talk about the Montreal Screwjob. And I have to say, I have written this. I have a daily column on SI.com, and I have written this probably 10 times over the past year on Twitter. And you did a shoot video, <clears throat> and I think it's the greatest 13 minutes in the history of YouTube, where you broke down the Montreal Screwjob is there anything about the Montreal screw job on this day that people still don't know or might be surprised to find out? Or do we know everything about it?
0: Well, I don't, you can't ever know everything about everything because, I mean, I don't even know the uh, the uh, specifics of, of anything when I wasn't in the room or who, because people have said, well, did so-and-so know? Well, I don't know, because I didn't actually know Vince was going to do it until I saw it happening. But then you go back and think, well, who else would have known? Well, who would have had to have known? Well, this guy might have had to have known. But you can always find out something. There might be a few interesting, surprising things left, but I don't know if today is the forum for it. <laughs>
1: but well, why best- not? I- I'm here. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Like I said, I, I don't want people to do it now. I want people to keep listening to this podcast. But when you well, do it... Have... There,
0: there, there might there might, or might not be a, a TV special coming out later on this fall from one of the fine cable networks out there that might reveal a bit of new information. But...
1: Uh-oh. Wait a second. Here's the thing. Wait, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. That, well, whoa. no. Wait a me Let me make a point here. Okay, here's go the ahead. thing. The thing is that it's such a bizarro world situation because I still have people... In the wrestling industry, insider wrestlers, and people who have had long history inside the business say, "Well, it was a work. Right? It wasn't really. It wasn't really a shoot. It was a work. Why? Because everything worked out perfectly for everybody. Right? Right. Brett got out of there. Vince's business took off. You know, the whole everything worked out great for everybody. And I said, that's exactly how you can tell that it wasn't a, a work. That it was really a shoot. <laughs> because when you think about it." No matter how good everybody involved is, a work can never turn out perfectly. Only an accident can turn out perfect. (laughs) If something turns out perfectly for everybody, that means it's an accident and it wasn't planned to happen that way. And I I, I look at the people in the business who think that it was uh, all a work amongst the parties, sort of like I do the people that think that the earth is flat or that you know the the right. the, uh, the aliens are going to be landing soon or whatever it's just they're looking they're looking for stuff way too deeply
1: i i have to say let me just give the plug one more time if you go on youtube cornet's montreal screw it's 13 minutes eight seconds it's a shoot video and the way jim explains the way everything went down is one of the greatest things i've ever heard i mean you rip both brett and you rip both Brett and Sean, because they're both making money hand over fist. You use some line about if it was rain and soup, this guy's so dumb he'd use a fork. I it was it's it's a classic. That, 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 well, that was Russo. <laughs> well, oh yes, Vince Russo. Yeah. <laughs> if It was rain and right. soup. He'd have been right. out in the yard with a fork. So tell me, tell me. Uh, well, first of all, let me get back to this. so there's going to be a cable network that's going to do something on the Montreal Screwjob. Is that what you're telling me?
0: Is that what you've heard? I don't know a thing about it.
1: Is it is it a, like is it an ESPN type or? Um, it, it 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 will be it will be one of the uh, it, let's put it this way. There'll be
0: some wrestling programming on one of the uh, the networks that is easily available if you're tuned into the to the cable television that they have these days. And
1: will you be on this
0: special? I I very well could be appearing on something like that.
1: And can you give me like a when? Do we know approximately when this will air on television? Are we talking in 2018, in a couple of months? Oh, I,
0: th- I think it'll probably be cold weather.
1: Cold weather, okay. I'm looking forward to that. I, so the, so there might be something about the Montreal screw job we don't know. Well, you never know. Now You now never you, know until you find out. Now, you said you didn't know Vince was doing all that until you saw it happen. Tell me, is there anything you can tell me about the following day? Cause the, well, no, the following day, I'm not, there was not a live Raw the next day, right? It was in a, a week later because it was taped at that point. Yeah, that's
0: that's back when when we still taped uh a lot of the programs. It, it depended on the schedule. Sometimes you'd do like a live raw and then you'd tape another one right. for the next week the same night. Uh, back in the old old days, we used to tape four 1-hour raws in one night and that would work so, for the whole month.
1: So but tell me about that Monday a week later. You get to the building for raw whatever time in the afternoon. What? No, it, it was, it, we were
0: we were at TV the following
1: day. Oh, okay, okay, so the following day. And we day. just taped it, yeah, but we were, we were at TV the,
0: actually the next two days up in Canada because I, you I, did Raw and then you also did Syndication back in those days.
1: Right. I, everyone focuses on that pay-per-view that Sunday night. I, I'm more interested in that next day. Is there anything you can tell me about that next day of the Montreal, that Monday?
0: Well, everybody obviously was still trying to wrap their head around what had gone on and... Of course, showing solidarity, Bulldog and Owen were not there nor, as as well as Brett, but that's also the day. Mick Foley was very upset. Right. And the one personal interaction that I had that day was everybody else came. Some guys were mad. Some guys didn't give a shit. Some guys were like, holy shit, what happened, right? Right. Um, the, Hart, the Hart family did not uh, attend the next day, and... But Mick didn't come either because Mick was just, he was offended that, that Vince would deceive one of the boys. And I've always said, I love Cactus Jack. I love Mick Foley. I've known him for 30 years or whatever. And he's too nice to be in the wrestling business. I was like, you're surprised that a promoter would screw one of the boys. right? Um, but anyway, he didn't, he didn't come. He, he didn't go back home. That's been reported. I don't, he didn't go all the way back home to Atlanta. He stayed in his hotel, but he didn't come to the, to the TV taping. And Vince had asked me, since I had a good relationship with him, to call him because Vince definitely wanted Mick, uh, you know, as part of the team and didn't want him to, to you know, over something like that, uh, you know, to have something going on. So he asked me to call him and see if he'd come back the following day. And I did. I got a hold of him. And, and, and he was upset, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I told him, I said, but here's the thing, Mick. I said, you've got kids and you're married and you've got a great spot. And Brett's going to go make several million dollars a year from Atlanta. And Sean's going to stay here and make who knows how much he's making at that point. Not as much as Brett. That was another bone of contention Um, with Vince. And but neither one of them, because uh, you were upset at this, are going to pay your bills or support your family. So why don't you come (laughs) on back and tell Vince face to face what you thought of it and him and everything else? and that's what he did and i was not in there for that conversation but i'm i'm sure it got tense but right. but that was the right thing for him to do he 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 kept his job and kept his check but he made sure that his feelings were felt
1: right All right. That day day must have been more surreal than the night before. It was interesting. Yeah.
0: It was interesting.
1: Tell me, maybe the Montreal Screwjobs answer this question. I don't know. But like I said, you were in the WWE from 93 to 2005. Obviously, you had a big career in WCW way before that. But in those WWE years, 93, 2005, what is the single craziest thing you saw?
0: Uh well in in terms of of being unusual uh probably the 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 thing in Montreal the yeah. double cross everybody calls it screw job what it there's an old phrase cuz you know this is uh, as old as the hills in right. wrestling right. it was a double cross a screw job was a a fan term that was come up for a what we used to call a fuck finish where uh basically the the good guy would get screwed by some cheating tactic that the heel used right so that was a screw. Then the fans kind of termed it a screw job, but what Montreal was was a double cross. Right. There was an agreement that uh, the match was going to go a certain way, and one of the guys double crossed the other one. And that's as old as the hills in wrestling. Right. So the guys that had been around a while weren't really as shocked as the guys that were a little newer because it hadn't happened in the modern era that much. I think the last. The, the last high profile screw job or double cross before Montreal was when the fabulous moolah cinched up on Wendy Richter's small package in the garden in '85 when she, Wendy wouldn't sign her contract.
1: And that is old school.
0: And then that was as old school as you could get. Yeah. But of course, that wouldn't have worked in the Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart match <laughs> because, number one, Bret was looking for, for something to go on. He was already thinking about it, right. and if, and as, if Shawn Michaels had tried to cinch up on a small package, Brett would have kicked out anyway and just beat the shit out of him right there on live TV. So,
1: <laughs> which would have been great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but that's that's one reason why that didn't yeah. happen in that way.
1: All right, so I I I mean, obviously, if you were there in that period, the Montreal Screwdriver. Give me the second craziest thing you saw because I, I want to get to something different. If
0: oh yeah. my gosh, um, the, you know, I mean, there were crazy things that happened all the time, and and. I just, well, everybody heard that Vader just passed away, Leon White. And and I managed Vader for a while while I was up there. And and you know what? Vader's this big old bear, and he's a tough son of a gun. But I was just telling a story on my show. One night, this was when they first started doing a lot of that pyro at the opening of Raw, right? Right. Where, you know, back in the just a few years before, Raw had been like a smaller television production coming from like Poughkeepsie or whatever, but now they're in these major arenas with this big stage, and all this pyro they blow off, and they blow the whole building up, and it just looks insane. Well, Vader, when you went under, in the the building, when you went under the raw stage and under the ramp where the, the, the guys came out under the Titantron... You could look out in the arena, and you could peek through the edges of the curtains or whatever. You could watch the matches, or you could look and see how the crowd was. And a lot of guys would wander under there in the course of the night, and and they'd check things out. But Leon one night, right before the show was about to go on the air, he just wandered underneath there, and nobody saw him to tell him. Oh, no. As he's looking out at the crowd in the building, they blew the pyro off. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we, you know, we're sitting in the back, and all of a sudden, that pyro was blown off. And seconds later, from under the stage, through this black curtain, comes Vader, in full gimmick, with both of his hands on the sides of his heads like his ears, and he's swaying from side to side. It's like a cartoon, and he drops to a knee. <laughs> it was like he'd been shelled by an oh artillery brigade John. underneath that... that. that it, like he went over... Niagara Falls on a barrel, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's...
0: And it was just, I mean, you never something was happening. Whether it was, you know, it was naked midgets in trunks or, and I'm talking car trunks, not right. wrestling trunks, or things that, you know, there was always something going on.
1: I, I have to say, I thought maybe you would have said um, the craziest thing you saw was Vince Russo writing for the WWE. Uh, no, that, <laughs> that wasn't crazy. That was, just, that was more like distasteful. But <laughs> now, it, is, this, is this restraining order still happening that he has against you? Oh, I don't know. if I hope he gets
0: it renewed because I sold Actually, you know, when he when he put the restraining order on me because he's such a little pussy that I said some things about him on the podcast, and he got feared and scared for his life. I have that on paper, by the way. Vince Russo is scared for his life of you, and that's on my wall. But when he filed the restraining order on me, i made copies of it and put it up on my website. And it still is there, by the way, at <laughs> jimcornet.com And $4 from the purchase of every restraining order goes to the Crusade for Children here in Louisville to help special needs kids ah, okay. in, in southern Indiana. I've actually donated over $4,000 to the Crusade off the restraining order, which is the only thing that Vince Russo has ever written that drew any money.
1: <laughs> that is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um Wow, I don't even know where to go from there. So <laughs> that, you don't have a transition no, from the
0: restraining I, order. I thought. Well,
1: I don't want to get into a whole Vince Russo thing. I mean, I think you know, I think I think we've seen, you know, he had his little run there in the WWE, and we've seen what's happened once he got away from Vince McMahon.
0: Sooner or later, even a blind squirrel yeah. will find a nut. Yeah.
1: Wait, let me ask you: throughout your career, you, like I said at the top here, you've done commentary, managing obviously, you've done booking. What has been your favorite thing that you've done in your career as in the wrestling business?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, once again, at different times, I didn't think that I would ever enjoy anything more than managing the Midnight Express. Yeah. Um, and, and and truthfully, that's, that's right up there. But OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling in Louisville here, uh, having a chance to not only be part owner of the promotion, but also the matchmaker and the TV announcer, and here in my hometown and bringing... You know, so many of the top names. We sold out the Louisville Gardens. Uh, we, you know, had a heck of a run at Six Flags Kentucky Kingdom. We brought the biggest stars in wrestling to Louisville, um, and and had a highly rated television program. That's probably second place in terms of just just being able to to give something back to all the wrestling fans in Louisville with. 27 years after I went to the Louisville Gardens to see Wrestling Live for the first time, I promoted and booked a show that sold it out. And my mother got to come and see that. She's the one that took me to my first match and she came to see me sell the place out.
1: Oh, nice. Very nice. That's a good one. So, you know,
0: I, I, Midnight, the Midnight Express run, my favorite. Um, the OVW run, my second favorite. And then I had moments of, of fun and Smoky Mountain was a lot of work and a, a potential mental breakdown potential right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> potential but, uh, you know at,
0: at, at different times it was all fun
1: right and when you were when you were part of the creative team for Vince and writing for Vince was that just too stressful to enjoy um i mean you know, once again we had fun while doing
0: it but overall it's not a, a job i would have picked on purpose and actually didn't <laughs> i kind of got roped into it right um but <laughs> You can't be on a creative team in wrestling right? and do anything. There has to be a booker, and a there has to be a bunch of people that follow the booker's instructions. Well, the booker, regardless of what the credentials are, what the name says in the WWE, is always Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. And so instead of doing your own stuff, imagine if... If I say to you, okay, you know, Jimmy, you may be a hell of a writer, but I want you to write me a a mystery novel just like Earl Stanley Gardner would have written a Perry Mason book.
1: Yeah, that's not happening.
0: Well, you're going to you're trying to do somebody else's shit, right? Right. right. So everybody that works for Vince creatively is always trying to do somebody else's shit. And I prefer whether stand or fall or good or bad to do my own shit.
1: Well, when you did your own shit, you mentioned OVW. And the talent that came out of that during your time there was amazing. And, you know, listen, you could bullshit me now or tell me the truth. I'll ask the question. I'm going to give you four guys you had there. You had Cena, Bautista, Wharton, Lesnar. Did you know all four of them would end up being these big deals that they ended up becoming? I mean, especially, you know, Bautista's obviously now he's doing the whole movie thing. Lesnar's ended up with this run again. Obviously, Cena, the most successful out of all of them. Or, did you have any questions about any of them, or you knew well, those were going to be the, the five-star wrestlers that they became?
0: I did not know that any of them were going to be movie stars. I'll admit that right now. Um, I thought John Cena would be the star because he had the most natural talent, the drive and determination, the personality. He was together at a young age. When he showed up in Louisville, he already had a place to live, already was moved in. Never late, no bad habits, driven personality. Great promo. He was good athletically. His work didn't improve as it could have if he hadn't been the top guy. And he was so valuable to them. He would have been a better wrestler because he could have taken more chances. But being the cash cow for the past however many years, he didn't need to take any chances because it could have cost him a lot of money. So people knock his in ring performance, but he was kind of by necessity, you know, does what he does. But as far as the promo and his personality. I figured he was going to be the guy. Um I thought Batista because of and I've said this many times and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, but we kind of worked it out and I was kind of right." I said this guy is in his early 30s, he's starting late, he's injury prone and he's not a natural cuz he didn't grow up a wrestling fan. Uh he looks tremendous, he has a striking physical appearance and he's a genetic freak. And we need to give him a gimmick because he's going to have a five- to seven-year career and he can't be taking arm drags in the first match. He has to be a main event guy. And come to find out when they tried to make him an underneath guy, it didn't work. But when they put him in the main events and accentuated the body, Mm -hmm. but he had a seven-year career, but he was on the injured list for, I believe, somebody figured up 26 months. So he had about a five-year career. Yeah. Uh, with Brock Lesnar, I thought he was a genetic freak and had all the tools, but he didn't give a shit about wrestling. He didn't enjoy it. He was never a fan of pro wrestling. He he doesn't like people. He didn't like travel. And I thought, and they were paying him. The only reason he was there is because they were paying him 250 grand a year to go to wrestling school. And I thought that he would quit and drop out because he didn't love it and he didn't want to do it. He was just doing it for the money um and that's pretty much what he did he quit on a million dollar a year plus spot decided he wanted to play football then he couldn't do that so he went into ufc because he's a genetic freak and then he could make a lot of money for a few appearances and now he's transferred that to the wwe so we were both right mm-hmm. athletically and physically because of who he is and what he can do he's a huge star But he did quit the business because he didn't like it, and now the only reason he's in it is because he gets paid a lot of money to very rarely show up. And with Orton, I knew he was going to be good uh, because it's in his genes. His father was one of the preeminent workers. We got him when he was 19 years old, and he'd had six matches, and physically he didn't look that great. And he wasn't really dedicated at first because he was a young man. But uh, when he grew up a little bit and got a little more dedicated and also the natural talent came out, um, yeah, I was pretty sure he was going to be successful. But right. uh, the surprise is Brock because I, I didn't think he would stick with it to get this far.
1: And he he's gotten lucky because he's been able to come and go as he pleases. Vince sort of yeah. it seems like Vince lets him do what he does, what he you know do what he wants.
0: Um, well, and I guarantee you, you would not see Brock Lesnar in the wrestling ring if it wasn't for a deal like this, because he doesn't he doesn't enjoy it, he doesn't love it, he never wanted to do this except for for the money. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But no. but at the same time, I used to I used to browbeat him when he was training, and I used to give other guys chances over him because guys that were making a fifth of the money were trying twice as hard. And I didn't feel like we ought to let the, the the star pupil coast. Right. So that's why we didn't get along probably from you know from some of the early days. But uh, and Brian Brock, I I, I I I admire this about him. We're very different people, but he does like to stay in his home and he doesn't like to socialize and go out. And in my old age, I, I find that's
1: preferable. But <laughs>
0: for a guy who doesn't like people, the only two people he wants in his life are Sable and Paul Heyman. I've right. never been able to figure that out.
1: <laughs> well, so I know you're not a fan of Sable from some of those shoot videos. I don't want to get into that. But um, the Heyman thing's interesting because I think, you know, uh, what. It seems like the biggest story in the WWE for the last two three years is how to get Roman Reigns over. How you know what what's going to make the difference? And I've always thought, given that you know Lesnar's the champion and he's got Heyman there, Roman Reigns needs Jim Cornette as his manager, <laughs> and then you can have a you could do a whole thing with you know Lesnar and Heyman versus Reigns and Cornette because I think that you've always been a heel. But I think if you came back, you couldn't be a heel because you've been gone for so long and you've been so honest about everything. The fans are going to love you when you come back.
0: Oh yeah, no, they 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 do. Whenever I do anything <sighs> and people see me, that they're they're glad I'm still breathing. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, yeah. And, but here's the thing.
1: I'm still breathing.
0: <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're happy. You know, yeah. everybody's still around. Okay, yeah. good, good on him. And and I do tell the truth a lot, and people like that. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing, Roman Reigns. Is suffering because they have finally found out why that every wrestling promotion since the dawn of time, the promoters and the people behind the the promotion were treated as the good guys, as the fair, honest babyface fellows, because Vince McMahon was a once in a lifetime television performer. The Mister McMahon deal, which isn't too far from Vince, but you know, had its moments. Um, it was great, and it was perfect for, for Steve Austin. They had the two perfect guys on opposite sides at the perfect time. But once that, that the Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon thing ran its course, it should have been back to the WWE, the promoters, of the McMahon family, whatever, were standing up for the good, wholesome, you know, entertainment or whatever. Be baby because now the people have figured out the hole in the logic that if the mcmahon empire is the evil empire and they're the ones that own things and then they push the wrestlers around and stephanie emasculates them by telling them off and they don't punch her in the face (laughs) and they're always trying to keep the wrestlers that you fans want to see down well then why are we giving them our money right why are we buying the tickets right why are we giving them our money why are we watching their tv show because they're getting rich there's the loophole in the logic and when they find out that Roman Reigns is the guy that Vince McMahon wants to handpick to be the guy over Daniel Bryan or CM Punk or the people that they like, they naturally revolt against that. Right. <clears throat> so I've said the only way, which apparently they refuse to do, the only way to get the people to like Roman Reigns is to promptly, number one, turn him heel, right. not only heel, but a disgusting heel that sodomizes all the baby faces at every opportunity. Huh but also doesn't give a shit for the office right. and doesn't like anybody and doesn't trust anybody. Cause imagine that Steve Austin kind of worked for him and you let the guy stand or fall on his own merits where it doesn't matter whether they're, they're cheering him or booing him or whatever. He doesn't have the stink of the owners wanting him to be the guy. He's just performing on his own and let him boo him and get it out of his system. Right. And then maybe at some point, because it's an old rule in wrestling when you switch babyface you're you're more over if you've been over as a heel and if you switch heel you're more over if you've been already been over as a babyface. Once he does switch back babyface for a good reason, helping out somebody that people like, then they might take to him like right. they did The Rock because they hated The Rock when The Rock was a good guy because he was a rookie and he hadn't paid his dues. And then he became a heel and when they said die Rocky die he took it out on all that aggravation he took out on the people and with such a cool heel that they started liking him. Right. It's the same principle. You can't just keep batting and, back against the tide.
1: And I've said this a million times, and I feel like I broke a broken record, but I, I've interviewed Roman four or five times. I've had him on this podcast two three. He's got a good personality. He can speak. He's funny. He's engaging. Just, it, you know, I guess they've just got him so buttoned up with whatever they're scripting for Oh, him. yeah. No, no,
0: nothing about this is his fault.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But he ought to he ought to be allowed to first of all he they shouldn't have revealed that he was the hand-picked chosen one because right. that put a bullet on his bulls on his chest right, and then they ought to figure out something instead of what's you know I guess they think it's working because it's such a situation now merchandise sells or you know what what the reaction is it doesn't really matter, but just it's hard when you're when you want to be a bad guy and you're wrestling the good guy and the people hate the good guy more than they hate you that makes the match hard it just screws everything
1: up <laughs> right well listen obviously this is fantasy land but let's say vince called you tomorrow and said jim we want you to come in and manage roman reigns would you do it oh absolutely not oh. no why not uh, well, and not anything. Well, for one, I've said I am
0: past a point in my life where I'm ever going to do anything with full time beside it again. All right, what, if he, what
1: if he said, "Come in," and we're in we're in July here. What if he said, "Come in, manage Roman until WrestleMania, and that's all we need you for." Do well, it. but
0: see that, and that's the problem is because then it would require me to get on an airplane, which I don't do anymore either. Okay. And then it would also require me to leave the city of Louisville, which I go months without doing now.
1: All right. And then it would
0: require me to watch wrestling, which I don't really do a lot of anymore. (laughs) And then it would require me to give a shit, which I don't really anymore. And then I'm too old and I've had too many injuries to go out there and be physical. And uh, that's why I retired from managing completely last Thanksgiving at WrestleCade because I don't want to go out there if I can't perform and do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm past the point of falling down on purpose.
1: Well, that's um, a bummer. And, and
0: also, if, if they asked me to, in all seriousness, well, all that was serious, but if they asked me to manage Roman Reigns, I would say, if you want him to, if you want me to manage him or you want anybody to manage him, switch him heel.
1: Right. All right. So now they'll switch him heel. Uh, and, and,
0: then then, and then maybe there'll be a chance, but, but okay. no... It, it, I think the people would just boo me because I was with Roman at this point. Yeah, but that would than be me great. Being some kind of balm or cure all.
1: But would you? Would you not? Let let. Okay, so let's say they turn him heel. Vince brings you back to manage him. You're in the ring. Monday Night Raw. There's twenty thousand people booing and screaming. You're not going to get a rush from that while you're cutting one of your classic promos.
0: Oh yeah, that yeah. it would be fun. Yeah. It would be fun. All right. And
1: and 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 I'd
0: see if I could get somebody to come over the rail. They were so pissed, and it would be like the old days. But. The thing is, then, on the way to and from, I'd be in a hotel, I'd be on an airplane, I'd be sitting in a fucking locker room for 10 hours, and I'd be going, I've ribbed myself again, this sounded yeah. good on the phone. Because every time one of my old friends calls me and, says, and talks me into doing something, whereas last year I went to TNA for a week again, right, right. or whatever, it sounds good on the phone, and I want to do the favor for the guy I'm talking to, and it'd be nice to see all those guys again, whatever, and then I get, I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, how long can I get home? I just need to get home.
1: All right, but maybe, maybe, you know. maybe this will be different. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna call Vince. I'm gonna call Vince and make it happen. All right, maybe this fantasy
0: yeah. scenario yeah. will be different.
1: I, yeah, I think it will be great. All right, let me ask you some. We'll do these rapid fire quickly, and then I'll, I'll get you wrapped up. I appreciate the time. Just want to ask you about some other random things here. Sure. My, my producer Lou Pellegrino had a good question, and I like it a lot. Give me a, give me a gimmick, preferably from your time in WWE. If you want to do WCW, that's fine. A gimmick you hated that ended up being great and successful for the wrestler. Oh God! Uh, in the WWF, that you thought that you thought wouldn't work and ended up working.
0: Well, I wasn't there when they started it, but I was there when and saw some of it. Doink the clown. Yeah. But it was only when when it was when it was Madborn.
1: Right, uh, right. You know,
0: and and uh, well, and then who was the second guy? I think Ray Apollo, but. Early on, it it worked for that audience, and I'm like, "This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen," but it worked for that audience, and especially the people who grew up with WWF wrestling in the Northeast, where that was always the style, right? Right. Rather than down south, is it's because this an amusing antidote, as people say often, that I've shared. At Survivor Series 93, I had the Heavenly Bodies Against the Rock and Roll Express booked for because we were working together in Smoky Mountain Wrestling with the (laughs) WWF, and since the Rock and Roll had been the WCW's most over babyface team in history, I said, what about if we have the Rock and Roll, the other guys, you know, most over babyface team on your pay-per-view, Vince? Okay. But the problem was it wasn't in Charlotte or in Greensboro or in Virginia or wherever. It was in Boston. So we have the Heavenly Bodies, and the Rock and Roll Express, and they have a tear down the house. Old-fashioned, Southern-style tag team wrestling match with bumps and spots and moves. And the only problem was it didn't tear down the house because the people in Boston, they're like, what the fuck is this, right? <laughs> and then the, immediately afterwards, the music plays, and here comes Doink the Clown and four midgets dressed like Doink. Oh, my
1: God.
0: And the people stand up and blow. Hell oh my God and I said then it's the way you educate your audience and even after that long in the in the wrestling business I was able to understand it's not necessarily that sometimes gimmicks are bad or good or that guys are bad or good it's the atmosphere in which they're presented mm-hmm. the people in in the Carolinas or in southern wrestling anywhere Texas Louisiana mid-south whatever if you'd have had a guy and four midgets dressed like clowns come out to the ring, the people would have probably pulled out knives and cut them, right? <laughs> it would have been bullshit. <laughs> but because the, the WWF style was always entertainment more than the Southern style was blood and guts and fighting, you know, they ca- they bought it up there whereas they didn't understand what we were doing because they didn't they, they hadn't even seen the Rock and Roll Express in their heyday because the cable didn't get up that far. And it was it was a complete the departure. So a lot of times guys would get over in certain territories that had certain styles because that fit what their strong points were. But in other cases, the same thing, done the same way, it would die the you know the death of a thousand cuts <laughs> in another place because right. that wasn't what the people were buying there. So there were some gimmicks that got over. And I was like, what? I mm-hmm. do not. But then there was... I've been right about more of them not getting over and, and understanding why than than, than they well, did the, get over, and I didn't understand there
1: why. There was a period of time there where, where things were rough there in the uh, mid-'90s there with the gimmicks.
0: Oh, good Lord, and I used to shudder, and they they were telling me, find talented guys, our roster is depleted, WCW is signing up all these guys, find us some good wrestlers. And I'd find them some because I was the one that was keeping track of the, you know, the other independent promoters, people who were out there. And they'd bring them in, and then give them the stupidest names and the stupidest gimmicks. And, the, and the, you know, the dirty white boy became a plumber named T.L. Hopper. And 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 you know, while Bill Irwin became the goon, he was a hockey player because they found out he was from Minnesota and played hockey once. And they had these stupid outfits. And it just like everybody had an occupation. They had a garbage man. Yep. And uh, you know, and it was just. That's where Vince had really hit the wall, I think, and he just thought that he, he's always wanted to kind of be Walt Disney, you know, with his wrestling. But then suddenly he was faced with the point where people aren't buying this stuff anymore and all those other guys on the other show are more real. So then he he let guys get more real, but then the problem was, you know, it it became not real as in the wrestling context. But we're going to tell you that all this isn't real, and now we're going to claim to be real. Because once you have a wrestler saying, "Well, all the other shit's fake," but now I'm shooting,
1: right. then you
0: know it's it's bullshit, right
1: right? right? right, right.
0: But that that came from you know when they started letting people in from outside the business that didn't understand the appeal of it or why people followed it. And they just thought that it was just supposed to be a show.
1: Uh, you mentioned Vince hitting the wall there. That leads me to my next question. And I'm, cu- I'm very curious about your answer to this one. Whenever the time comes, we don't know when it's going to be, but there's going to come a time where Vince is not around to run the WWE. Who would be the best person to take over? Stephanie, Triple H or Shane? Shane?
0: Well, it's going to be Stephanie and Triple H, so we can debate about who the best people would be, but it's not going to be Shane, and that's why, you know, I think he kind of left to do his own thing a while back because he saw that, and, and truthfully, I like Shane. Shane's probably my favorite McMahon. He's a great guy, um, and has balls the size of, you know, watermelons. But I don't think he ever got the the business business of the wrestling business, as would the inside the ring business and et cetera, et cetera. And, and Stephanie, don't get me wrong, Stephanie didn't either, because, I mean, here's the thing. They're the boss's kids. Is anybody going to tell them the truth when the chairman of Exxon, his kids show up at the you know annual Christmas party? Is one of the low level executives going to take him over to the side and say, you know, your dad fucked a bunch of shit up last year and here's what it was? <laughs> right? No. Right. So they right. didn't understand, but Triple H does. So it, it, honestly, I believe with Triple H, what I've seen with NXT, he likes more legitimate, believable wrestling. He wouldn't go as far as what they have with the entertainment bullshit. Right. Um,. And he's going to be the one to be running it. You know, Stephanie may be in name or whatever, but he'll be the, the, the guy making the, the wrestling calls. And, and But they have great business executives, and he needs to stay on the sidelines of the business, you know, discussions about other things, not just wrestling business, because there's people that are well-versed in all that stuff. But I think it'll actually be a more legitimate wrestling product with, with right. Triple H than it is because yeah. Vince has just always liked that. Ha-ha. Right. And and unfortunately, you can't get him out of it.
1: Any thoughts on Ronda Rousey's so far in the WWE?
0: The greatest debut match in the history of wrestling. Wow. Uh, that, was my, that was my favorite match on the whole show. I watched it to review on my, my highly rated podcast. Not as good as yours is that we're on right now, Jimmy, but it's uh, highly rated. No, no, no. Um, But I watched the show, and there was the sublime, and there was the ridiculous, and there was less of the sublime than the ridiculous, but that was the highlight of the night. That was the best debut match I've ever seen. That was a classic pro wrestling match put together perfectly. The people loved it. Wanted to see more. It was easy to dance to, but it wasn't pitchy at all, dog. (laughs) Um, You know, I thought she did great, and that's, once again... We've come around full circle. I'll say this, and then I believe the, the the storm clouds are brewing again, so I may have to get off here before I get electrocuted. Okay, okay. But if you notice, people, a, a lot of people used to believe wrestling, as I said, but a lot of people didn't know what was going on, knew something, but they didn't know what or how. Then suddenly everything began being exposed. You knew who did everything and how everything was done. But now we've come around to where who are the big box office attractions in our business now? Right. Who was the one who got that $2 billion deal for uh, television deal for the WWE? Ronda Rousey, because they just signed her. Mm -hmm. Who is the one who gets paid more per match than anybody else in wrestling? Brock Lesnar, because he's the real deal. He's a former UFC champion. The people who are drawing the money in wrestling in 2018 are the same kind of people who were drawing the money in pro wrestling in 1918, the people that everybody knows, say what you want about wrestling or whatever, but those guys or girls are the real deal. The people that can create a little doubt, will Brock Lesnar go off and snap and really hurt somebody even if he's told not to? Right. Possibly, because he actually might. Because right. he's, a, he's a, a, a genetic freak, and also he's a lunatic, and he don't give a shit. Right, right. Because he could just as soon go home and stay there, and he's got the money to do so. That's what sells tickets. Yeah,
1: very and interesting. Ronda yeah. Rousey,
0: yeah. Is, 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 at some point, is the promoter going to tell her what to do, or is she going to snap and just say, fuck it, right? Right. Well, she might very well. The people drawing the big money in wrestling have always been the people that the fans and the ticket-purchasing patrons believed may go into business for themselves and do their own thing regardless of what you think about wrestling. Right. And nothing's changed in 100 years except the names.
1: Well said. All right. I appreciate it. I'm going to end with this. I appreciate the time. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to go totally off the beaten path. You are not shy, and that is an understatement, about tweeting your opinions on politics. Now, I do the same thing, and I always get told by people, oh, you're alienating half your audience if you bash Trump supporters and Trump, blah, blah, blah. And I always say the same thing. I don't care. (laughs) Have you – what kind of backlash have you faced? Do you care at all? Do you ever think you've gone too far? What Or you're going to tweet about whatever you want whenever you no, want? No, they
0: won't let me go far enough because Twitter bans me when I go as far as I want to. How
1: many times have you gotten banned?
0: Uh, I think twice so far. For Trump stuff? Um, well, one one was, I, I don't even know if I can use this word on your show, but uh, it was uh, that, that that NRA spokeswoman. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's not go there. I, I think yeah, it, yeah, I,
0: yeah, I won't use that word, but yeah. that's what she is and everybody yeah. knows it. Uh, but, but no, I don't care, first of all, whether I'm not alienating half of my audience because all the cool people like me, and that means there's only a few Trump supporters anyway, and if they're Trump supporters and they still listen to me, then they know not to say it in public because I'll block a bastard in a heartbeat because it's not half the population. It's just half the, uh, a little bit less than half the people that voted. All the smart people thought that there's no way that this real estate fraud and egomaniacal buffoon could possibly get elected, so they stayed home, and as a result, we have the fringe lunatics on the far right, the, these lunatic idiots that are running our country, and people have to stand up, and they have to ostracize them like they do now to child molesters and smokers and people who beat <laughs> their wives or spouses. They have to ostracize Trump and We have to get pour out to the polls and and vote in the elections and get this criminal element and these Cro-Magnon cave people as far away from making public policy as possible. And if somebody don't like that I have to say that, then I wish that they would go ahead and block themselves and save me the trouble on Twitter and don't speak to me, because I don't want to be around anybody that is stupid enough and ignorant enough and gullible enough and clueless enough about what's going on in the world to have taken one look at Donald Trump and think that guy should be in charge of my destiny. Because if you're around me and you think that, then you're liable to get both of us killed and I don't want to be anywhere around you. So fuck off.
1: You know what I love about that? That was not the quote-unquote angry Italian New Yorker saying that. That was the guy from Louisville, Kentucky who said that. That's hey, what hey, I love about some that. Some
0: things cross all boundaries.
1: Right. <laughs> all right, well, that was the perfect way to end this podcast and i uh i appreciate it i had a lot of fun and i thank you for your time and good luck hey, with Jimmy, those tornadoes. thank you very
0: much and i'd like to invite everybody to visit jim where you can find out where i'm going what i'm doing what i'm selling and possibly bail money if uh <laughs> if if our fear her president uh tries to put me in jail for speaking <laughs> out the truth
1: jim cornett.com the jim cornett experience jim cornett's drive through, and I, again, the YouTube video of him breaking down the Montreal screw job is the greatest 13 minutes on YouTube. All right, Jim, thank you very much. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, that wraps up this edition of the SI Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Train. I don't even know what to say. Jim Cornette just put on a masterpiece. It's amazing. Some people just, when you, they get going, they get going, and, it, and it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. The gift of gab there for Jim Cornette is impressive. Hope you wrestling fans enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next week on the SI Media Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On Your Favorite Team on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On Your Favorite Team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. (laughs)